This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous. Before the Marvel Cinematic Universe and before the DC Entertainment Universe, superheroes reigned supreme on the smaller screen. Shows themed around superheroes were staples of the Saturday morning cartoon space, and viewers around the country were introduced to countless episodics about superheroes known and not so known. If you didn't have access to their stories and comic books, Saturday morning cartoons were the best place to hang with your super friends. And this week, we're going to talk about where the superhero fever started and focus in on perhaps the best of the bunch. And I'll give you a hint, X is going to mark the spot for that one. For any new listeners, this is part two in a month-long series on the Saturday morning cartoon. So check out episode one after you listen to this episode. So if all that sounds good to you, let's get started. So the superhero TV show, especially in the Saturday morning cartoon space, has a very, I would say, kind of up and down history. It's kind of weird to think that now superheroes weren't as popular, but they were much more of a subgenre, much more niche, definitely not as kind of like culturally pervasive as they are now. Like, again, like I said in the intro, if you were going to be dealing with superhero media, you were probably going to be dealing with it almost exclusively via comic books. So like going and getting an issue of Batman or Spider-Man or Superman, whoever it was. And then eventually superheroes made their way into the small screen space around the 1960s. Obviously, there were a lot of people who had their hats in the ring around this time when it came to superhero shows, basically all of the major networks at the time. So ABC, CBS, and NBC showed some type of superhero character. Like I mentioned in part one, the Saturday morning cartoon as a whole really got started with the show Mighty Mouse. And Mighty Mouse is a superhero. It's a, you know, it's in the name. It's Mighty Mouse. But superheroes as we knew it, aka Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, all the man, they really didn't come up until like uh, around like late to mid, mid to late 60s. Like they were still doing so well in comic books that the jump over to television wasn't so necessary. Really, a lot of the superhero space that was dominated in the better half of the 60s was from characters like Space Ghosts. And it's very 
strange to think of space ghosts in like a serious context of like a superhero show um because i am most familiar with space ghosts via space ghosts coast to coast which was a an adult swim um live action animation hybrid using the character of space ghost but he was popularized from again biggest animation giant of for like saturday morning cartoons hanna barbera he was popularized via his show space ghost and so eventually some more studios kind of came into the fold so filmation who was most known for making the new adventures of superman um which was named that basically because they i think originally were going to name it the adventures of superman uh but that already existed that was already a show that was on in the 50s uh it was a live action show so they were like hmm how do we change this let's just put the new adventures of superman and they were like good enough good enough so for this time superhero shows were definitely around they were popular amongst kids they enjoyed them but they weren't as popular as some of the other super big kind of heavy hitters of the saturday morning cartoon space uh namely like your scooby-doos and really scooby-doo kind of opened the door for shows that are basically just scooby-doo but with different overlays so it's like basically teenagers fighting crime with some animal and i won't even say i can't even say dog necessarily because there were shows like jabberjaw which was teenagers fighting crime and solving mysteries with a shark so you know they really milked that that format for all it was worth so again like i mentioned superhero shows kind of definitely have this yo-yo trajectory when it comes to popularity and like being on air and being popular shows that were on air so kids liked superhero shows because feasibly speaking if they were watching them they were probably also reading the comics or had toys that were themed to the superheroes but one of the biggest disruptors of the superhero kind of genre of shows was the action for children's television which was kind of this you know mandate this law this thing that was put together by parents who thought that superhero shows were too violent for their children so ultimately that was one of the first and you know one of the biggest blows to superhero shows that other shows probably didn't really get to definitely this affected other shows like the whole idea of cartoon violence was pretty pervasive over a lot of different shows but superhero shows got hit the hardest probably because they were the most realistic uh they were the ones who depicted humans the most even though they were superhumans um and so it's not at all unlikely that a kid would look at a show like uh new adventures of superman or space ghost and be like ah i want to do that too i want to i don't know fly off of my building and see if i won't be gravely injured but a lot of that was disrupted by the action for children's television which basically kind of just took a lot of shows directly uh off the air there were some shows that still remain so the superman aquaman hour of adventure and also the batman superman hour they came in around the late 60s early 70s so act which was again the action for children's television this mandate also spelled out a lot of the language around advertising to kids and not having shows basically just be segues for product and segues for toys and that again was going to affect a lot of these superhero shows because they could feasibly speaking have a lot of toy tie-ins with different characters and whatnot so again that was also a major blow for superhero shows in general 
But the 70s is when things started to kind of roll around. You start to get different shows. So you get a lot of like music based shows. So you have like the Archie's and like the banana splits and like shows like that that are like centered around bands. But superhero shows kind of come back in vogue. And so around the 1973, you get the show that is probably the most popular, I would say, um, of the superhero genre for Saturday morning cartoons, which is Super Friends. And Super Friends is kind of just primordial Justice League. Like, that's exactly what it is. It's a collection of DC superheroes. So Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, uh, Robin, Aquaman, and a whole host of other kind of characters going in and out fighting superhero or fighting supervillains together. They all, you know, cheer, freeze frame, end of show. That's kind of what Super Friends was. Super Friends ran from 1973 to 1985. And in that time span, in that 12-year time span, I want you to guess how many names the show had. If you're thinking it's under five, you would be incorrect. (laughs) It's six or it's seven, excuse me. There were seven name changes for this one show in a 12-year time span. (laughs) So it was Super Friends, two separate words. That ran from 73 to 74. Then from 77 to 78, you had the all-new Super Friends Hour. Then from 78 to 79, you had the challenge of the Super Friends. And then from 79 to 80, you had the world's greatest Super Friends then from 80 to 83, you had Super Friends, one word. Then from 84 to 85, you had Super Friends, the legendary Superpower show. And then from 85 to 86, you had the Superpowers team, Galactic Guardians. Again, that sounds a, le- that sounds a little bit too close uh, to Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm sure Marvel was like, um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys can call this Galactic Guardians, because that seems... A bit too close to home for us for some characters that we have but super friends really did kind of bring back superheroes and really make them this kind of like major thing especially for a childhood demographic um and kind of revitalize the somewhat fleeting superhero trend of the 60s that really couldn't kind of get off the ground um, so really, this was this show was kind of an excuse to get all these characters that feasibly kids would like and kids would know and either who had like cool powers or just kind of had wacky powers. It was a very wacky show, like from there being seven different names in a 12 year time span, you can tell that they were kind of operating on silly goofy vibes for for the show. That doesn't mean bad just means kind of silly goofy like superheroes weren't this kind of gritty serious thing and that wouldn't come until a show probably 10 years after this show had ended um or a little bit less than that that we'll get into a little bit later in the episode but superhero friends you had your your basic lineup of the justice league and then you had some what would be considered b players Most famously from this show, you had the Wonder Twins. And if you're not familiar with the Wonder Twins, they're twins. No wonder. Um, And one of them can basically turn into any form of water. So like if necessary, if they needed to, I don't know, trip a villain, they could just turn into a puddle and the villain could, could slip on that. And that is 
useful, I suppose. And the other one was kind of like Beast Boy and could turn into any kind of animal. And that was it. I know there was a lot of controversy around the Wonder Twins. A lot of kind of comics purists didn't really like them all that much um, because they thought that they were a little bit too goofy and silly. But, you know, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So as you could probably anticipate, because of the thing that brought the original kind of run of superhero shows down, Super Friends had to be a little bit goofier because they were trying to abide by these broadcast standards so that they wouldn't basically get pulled off the air. So instead of having very violent ways of ending the show that ultimately ends in like people dying and, you know, people getting gravely injured, a lot of it was... A lot of it was taking storylines from the comic books with really goofy villains, you know, who were like scientists or aliens or whatever it was. And ultimately them coming to kind of a amicable agreement of peace. That was the very kitschy and um, some could say saccharine uh, way that the show liked it. Like there was some violence. There was some, you know, bam, pals, wows, you know, things like that. But it ultimately kind of ended with a very moral very peace-driven ending um wasn't too much in the way of actual violence going on and again that was so that they didn't get pulled off the air so the show experienced a lot of different iterations ultimately the same show but just a lot of different forms they brought in you know new characters they took out new characters they reintroduced new characters so basically everyone almost everyone of a of in the you know dc comics family made a run on super friends at some point and in some capacity like i said almost everyone um there were definitely characters created after that obviously wouldn't have appeared in the show right right so ultimately by the mid 80s super friends was pulled off the air um super friends also did introduce the again if you listen to episode one, you'll know that the 80s kind of reintroduced the uh, toy tie-in and a lot of these shows just basically became vehicles for, for toys again. And Superhero Friends definitely took advantage of that. They created a lot of merch around these different superheroes, a lot of, you know, toy sets, a lot of action figures, a lot of things that kids could be enticed to want to buy because of the characters that they saw. And, you know, Again, it they did they fully took advantage of, of what the eighties offered as far as hyper consumerism within these these shows. Um, but the interesting thing about a show like Super Friends that really kind of set the formula for what a superhero show could look like and ultimately kind of the public perception of superheroes, because you know, for a long time superheroes were thought of as these really kind of wacky you know, goofy beings. Like, yes, there were some iterations that were capable of being very earnest and very, you know, not serious per se, but like you could take something, a good lesson from them. Uh, they were very morally driven in that way, but you really didn't kind of penetrate the surface of the superhero. It was just like, it was almost like you only knew Batman, but you never got to know Bruce Wayne. And the interesting thing, about that is that by the 90s 
we already very quickly grew tired of that reputation of superheroes. And so that's when you get shows like Batman, the animated series, and the second show that we'll be talking about for this episode, which is X-Men, the animated series. Now, unfortunately, I've got good news and bad news. Bad news, we won't be talking about Batman, the animated series in this episode because... It's not a Saturday morning cartoon. I, in doing research for this episode, saw it referred to as a Saturday morning cartoon more times than I would have liked, more times than was necessary, I should say. But it was not a Saturday morning cartoon. It premiered on the Saturday. And then after that, it was squarely shown during the week. Like it was a weekday after school, after school special um, of sorts. So not a Saturday morning cartoon. Want to lay that, lay that groundwork here right now. But the good news is I have a whole episode dedicated to Batman, the animated series. I think I did it probably a couple months back. It was in, uh, it was a tribute episode to Kevin Conroy and it was, it's one of my favorite episodes that I've ever done. So if you haven't listened to that, highly, highly, highly recommended little shameless plug there. But we will be talking about X-Men the Animated Series, which is a Saturday morning cartoon. And you may be wondering, Bobby, how do you know for sure that Batman the Animated Series is not a Saturday morning cartoon and X-Men is? Um, Because I am insane and I looked at the production schedules of all the episodes and compared them to calendars from 1992 and 1993, which is when these shows were uh, in their first couple runs. And I made sure I double checked. That's that's the level of production value that the show is operating on. I do the research just for you guys. You're welcome. X-Men the Animated Series, the best way that I could sum up this show is that it truly was for a while the little show that could at least in the initial run there is a really great uh oral history uh article from the Hollywood Reporter talking about the making of the show and a lot of it a lot of the people that worked on it basically were like there was a lot of hesitancy around a show like the X-Men because Unlike, you know, Superman, Batman, a lot of the DC superheroes, Marvel superheroes weren't as prominent, at least not as many of them as as, as DC was. So you had definitely had, you know, characters like Spider-Man. Spider-Man was probably one of the biggest uh, superhero superheroes that were visible and recognizable and people knew who he was. But other Marvel properties weren't as well known especially not as well known as they are now so there was some difficulty and some hesitancy with centering a show around these characters that feasibly speaking a lot of people really didn't know and then also there was some hesitancy around the direction that they wanted to take the show in so a lot of marvel's kind of showings around this time with Saturday morning cartoons was the Incredible Hulk show that ran from 1978 to 1982 on CBS. And that show, much like many other shows similar to it, was very campy. It's very fun. It's a little bit goofy. It's very cheesy. Like that is the general vibe of that show. 
And if you've seen X-Men the Animated Series, you know that's not really what the show is. Like, they wanted to make it serious. They wanted to make these superheroes serious. They wanted to make them serious about what they they wanted basically the viewer to feel like they were watching actual superheroes fighting crime dealing with these problems and it wasn't just this thing that kind of gets wrapped up in 22 minutes or whatever it was like they gave it as much emotional weight as they possibly could so there was a lot of a lot of just lingering anxieties around how they were going to do this show And so what a lot of people don't know is that there was an originally a failed pilot in the late 80s featuring the X-Men and the name of the show was Pride of the X-Men. And there are some clips, I think, on YouTube, um, mainly with the theme song that is not great. Um, It's 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 catchy. It's kitschy. It's not the best. It's not that it's not it's not really good, but it worked for the show. I think ultimately the pride of the X-Men, it was not, not that it was like a too many cooks in the kitchen situation, but they just really couldn't hammer home what they wanted it to be. The characters just didn't feel right. I think they had in this iteration, they had um, X-Men that had Wolverine with an Australian accent and it was kind of very goofy and funny. And so like ultimately all the things that they wanted the show to be or the direction that they wanted the show to go in was a little bit more Super Friends and not really like X-Men the animated series. So essentially with this pilot kind of that didn't do well a lot of this and a lot of the credit that I think can be given to the growth and development of the show goes to a TV executive by the name of Margaret Loesch so Margaret Loesch basically believed in this idea so much and she saw the vision ahead of so many other people that she practically staked her entire career on it like she believed in the x-men and what it could be and the team behind it so much that she was just like i all my chips are on the table i'm i'm riding with this idea and so they took it to fox and they gave it another shot with a kind of revamped form and that's when we get x-men the animated series and so x-men the animated series premiered on halloween in 1992 in a primetime 7 p.m. slot, which is a very big deal for an animated show um, on one of the major networks, Fox, to premiere in that time slot. And it did pretty, pretty well. And then eventually it would move to Saturday mornings almost exclusively. But when you if you've seen the show, you know that the first episode was Night of the Sentinels. And it's a two part episode, which kind of ushers in this newer phenomena for the superhero genre especially for this time which was like having a serialized show for a younger demographic there was this real fear that kids would want to watch one plot over the course of a season and wouldn't be able to remember you know what happened in a previous episode they didn't know if you know episodes would be released in order they didn't know if production would hold up one episode so they had to release one before the other and so there was a lot of anxiety around how are they going to release this show and make sure that the uh, kind of sanctity of the story is preserved. And so from that, you get 
the creation of the previously on. So that's kind of one of the famous hallmarks of X-Men, the animated series, is the previously on X-Men, which just basically shows like a compilation of clips from the prior episode that you will need to understand the events of this episode. And so I think the best thing about the the whole team behind X-Men, the animated series, was that they believed in the idea that kids and a, just a younger demographic in general really wanted to respect the gravity of these characters and could do it like they didn't just expect their superheroes to be you know wacky and goofy and do like the very cartoonish you know bam pals they understood that this younger audience could accept a much more mature or much more complex narrative with these very complex characters and so they just kind of introduce a lot of little pieces that ultimately set the tone for where the superhero genre would end up in the later years. And so I think shows like Batman the Animated Series and X-Men really open the door for like, hey, superheroes can be, you know, real, like we can tell really human stories with these superheroes. And it's something that audiences will receive. And like I said, there was so much pushback from from Fox. I think Fox had a lot of anxiety around how they were going to create the show, how the show was going to fare with audiences. Um, they wanted to make it much more goofy, presumably off of the success of Super Friends. They wanted there to be a lot more merchandise tie-ins. And ultimately, there was a situation, I think, where... Uh, like there was a Australian deal where they were going to do like a couple of the characters for a fast food franchise. And I guess someone from Fox promised that the characters based on the, I guess someone from Fox promised that there would be a tie in directly with the show and whoever this fast food franchise was. And ultimately that kind of almost caused a coup with the entire X-Men crew. And they were just like, we're not doing that. We're like, we're not going to besmirch this thing that we're, that we're actively working on. Like we want to give it the respect and the gravity that it needs. And something like this completely interrupts that. And this this Hollywood Reporter article really does chronicle how this team was so wired to this vision that they had for the show and nothing that had previously kind of derailed and really watered down the idea of superheroes like this heavy merch push and, you know, tie-ins and things like that. Like they knew that that was kind of the death knell for shows like this. And so they had to be like, no, like we've got to, this is, we're drawing the line in the sand. We're not going to do this. And the article says a lot of people kind of hit their, you know what, if you're going to fire me, fire me point. And listen, can't fire everyone. So <laughs> the Fox ultimately kind of were just like, okay, we'll push back. Or like Marvel was just like, all right, we we understand the direction and we'll, we'll back off. And that ultimately kind of led to Fox as being the place for Saturday morning cartoons. On during the week, they were dominating with you know shows like batman the animated series and the animaniacs which we'll talk about all of those like steven spielberg presents cartoons next week but they were dominating the weekday and then x-men came in like a force and dominated the weekends so fox for a couple of years like that was the channel when it came to saturday morning cartoons and x-men i think really kind of helped to cement that for sure 
Um, there's a lot of consensus around whether it was canceled. It wasn't. There was kind of a standing contract of doing like, I think, 65 or so episodes. And that got extended. So they did more. And then once those were up, they were just like, okay, we're done. <laughs> We've fulfilled our obligation. It's it's not that the show was canceled because the ratings weren't good. The ratings were great. People loved the show. People loved the characters. Um, but the contract was basically fulfilled. And so the show ended. Um, one thing going into the show specifically that I really love, and I talked about it a little bit in the last month, one of the episodes from last month, where I was describing that X-Men was one of those first shows that showed a number of superheroes who were women, not just kind of in one silo. So for a long time, it was kind of just Wonder Woman, pretty much, um, as far as having kind of standalone, you know, autonomy and being seen as a contributing member of the group, a major contributing member of the group, like Wonder Woman obviously is a very prominent part of the Justice League. But if for a long time, it was kind of just her. And then with X-Men, you get, you know, a whole host of superheroes who are women who are in a lot of ways better than the male superheroes that they're fighting next to. So in just this show, you have Jubilee, you have Storm, you have Rogue, you have Jean Grey, you have Mystique, like you have all of these characters that are, you know, working together and are a part of this team and are seen as leaders in a lot of ways. And I think that's a really, really important point when it comes to superhero shows on Saturday morning cartoons, because it wasn't just boys watching these cartoons. It was girls. It was everyone watching these cartoons. And so to be able to look at a show that not only gave these characters something meaningful to do, and it wasn't just, it was wrapped up in one little, you know, 22 minute episode, and then you're done and kind of these like throwaway episodes, like giving them meaningful storylines, meaningful motivations, a lot of really, really good conflict, but then also having that represented and seeing a character that they can look to and be like, ah, there I am. That's me. Like, I want to be like her when I grow up, even though, you know, we, we all want to be like superheroes, but does it happen for all of us? No, it doesn't. But the the main point is that a show like this really kind of opened the door for depicting female superheroes in a meaningful way, not just as accessories to the, you know, popular male superheroes, not just as these kind of like slightly seductive villainesses, even though there were some like that, like this era really invited this very complex perspective of women in superhero dumb and what that can look like. And I give a lot of credit to X-Men, the animated series for that. I really do. So superheroes have been around for a very, very long time, but I think television really kind of shot them into the stratosphere. But it didn't come without a little bit of stumbling and wobbling, one could say. Uh, like I said, the beginning of the journey was a little bit touch and go like you kind of had different forms of superhero dumb it wasn't just as explicit as you know men with superpower um it was a little bit more rudimentary and could come in a different a lot of different ways due to a lot of broadcasting standards the genre really got interrupted um and then it came back with a force with super friends and that kind of showed the the buying power necessarily of of 
superheroes and kind of what they could be and kind of a very, you know, very campy, very safe, one could say, uh, look at them. And then by the 90s, you kind of get the door busted wide open and you have this really, really complex show that comes along and shows that like, hey, superhero shows are capable of doing something like this like yes they can be campy and fun and goofy and it's not to say that x-men was only you know serious and very complex and everything it was still a very enjoyable show and it still is it's on disney plus it's worth a watch um if you if it passed you by when you were younger or if you haven't seen it in a very long time but it's a very good show still um and it it just i don't know like it was a good balance like you definitely had characters who are a little bit more you know, jokey than others like Gambit, even though I love Gambit very much. Um, But you definitely just kind of had room for for everything. But they really did give a lot of, you know, respect and a lot of reverence to the superhero genre via X-Men. And that ultimately opened the door. I think that was one of the shows, one of the biggest shows, um, both X-Men and DC, kind of this joint you know, DC Marvel effort really opened the door for kind of how we see superheroes now, which is as these very, these super beings who tell really human stories. And ultimately the, both of those shows, X-Men specifically did that. And it all started on Saturday morning. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod. And I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. Now, this is a bit of a new thing, but if you have a question or a comment that you want me to answer on air, there are a couple of different ways that you can do that. So if you're listening on Spotify, there's currently a Q&A feature where you can leave little comments and I can read them and let me know if you want me to read them on air, if you have questions that I can answer on air, or if you're listening on Apple or anywhere else, there is always a uh, review section where you can leave a question and also hopefully a good review, again, if you had a good time. So if you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to go do a very, very, very deep dive into X-Men, the animated series. Um, So I'm not going to remember all of that. Eh, I get it. I get it. Um, I'm probably going to do the same thing the second that I finish recording this podcast. So I put all of that information in the description down below just for you. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this week's chat and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive later days, friends. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking... Why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.
Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.